Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, welcome to another edition of GodPod. And uh, today we are delighted to have the usual three characters, myself, Graham Tomlin. We also have Jane Williams with us. We do. And also Michael Lloyd. Hello. And uh, we're still in, uh, not kind of lockdown, but we're, so we're distributed around our different places, me in Twickenham, Michael in Oxford and Jane in Cardiff. So uh, that's the, the um, uh, GodPod lineup to today, but it's not complete because we also have uh, another wonderful guest and um, it is Maurice Glasman. Maurice, very nice to have you with us again. Well, lovely to be with you. So hopefully if you um, have listened to previous GodPods, you'll have uh, heard the first part of this discussion because we had uh, part one of a conversation with Maurice uh, a little while ago, and uh, this is part two. And we are hoping to continue the conversation because there were so many interesting themes that were beginning to bubble away uh, in our conversation last time that we thought it'd be worth uh, having a follow-up because God pods are limited in time and uh, we couldn't go on forever. And we're not going to go on forever today, but we are going to actually try and pursue some of those lines of conversation uh, with Morris. So, um, Morris, as you uh, will know, if you have um, listened to the previous one, is a Labour peer. Um, involved in the Common Good Foundation, has uh, written a great deal, a great thinker on politics, on faith, and uh, different aspects of our civic life together. And so uh, we wanted to follow up some of those conversations. So just to begin with, I mean, I, I don't know whether Morris, Michael, Jane, you had any particular reflections or um, um, particular things you wanted to pick up at the beginning of our conversation. I've got a number of themes I'd like to pursue today, but um, anything particularly, your reactions, your memories of the last conversation and particular themes that were important for you as we pick up the conversation today? I, th I think for me, it was the, the challenge to uh, the parish and the church as parish and seeing ourselves as there for the community and for the common good I think we have developed a, a club mentality that we're here for our members. Um, whereas in fact, we and the members are here for uh, the local society and, and beyond. And, and I think how we rethink ourselves um, in the light of that challenge is, is for me what I took away from last time. And how we do that in a way that is um, genuine about the common good because uh, so that again we're not just assuming that um the church of england knows all the answers um and has all the resources but how we actually um get some kind of a vision of what is a what is the common good for our society and work on that together in some way yep and part of the that... problem of course is that there isn't complete agreement as to the common good no. and therefore working across those divides with a, a, a contested understanding of what is the common good is, I mean, I think there is enough overlap that um, there's, there's a lot of work we can do together, but there's also a sense of sharing the vision of a common good. Not everybody would think that there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. No, quite. It also strikes me that the, the parish system 
is kind of crucial to an Anglican missiology. It's actually part of what our missiology is, that, that we're not just interested in those who come to church. It's actually an Anglican missiology. And I'm conscious that people listening to this are not necessarily Anglicans, not necessarily even Christians, but but you know, for those of us within the within the Church of England, the established church, our our missiology, our understanding of mission, our purpose in the world is not just to gather a group of people who are sort of believers in Christ and living together. Uh, but if you are a parish church, you are interested in everything that goes on in that parish, not just the life of the church, but the civic life, the political life, the communal life the health, the well, well-being, everything that goes on in that parish, in your particular locality, is of interest to the church because it's of interest to God. And so that seems to be a quite a distinct kind of missiology that we have that not, not every church has. Maybe some, maybe others share it too, but it's something that the parish system sort of bequeaths to us from the past. Um, right, any, any reflections on, on that and again on the conversation last time? Yeah, um, Certainly. So, you know, to begin in a kind of, a, you know, fundamental way, I, th I think just just for listeners, we're, we're recording this in what Graham called a kind of lockdown. And in this kind of lockdown, what I've been reflecting on since we last spoke is, is this sort of complete secularization of time and space. Okay, so, so the time is endless and it's it's unpunctuated so you know not being able to congregate for public prayer uh, means that for example any conception of the holiness of the sabbath day or any anniversaries are so much diminished in the punctuation of time um but it also eviscerates eviscerates space so the the key thing about the lockdown is the is the centrality of the internet in our lives so we're we're doing this on you know zoom we're we're not meeting and and so everywhere is anywhere anywhere is is everywhere and this really intensifies the problem that we've had for the last 40 years really 50 years with globalization is is the place doesn't matter at all that you can do what you do and be who you are without relationships, without a shared fate with others. And so Graham, I think what you're picking up is absolutely central, is, is that the way that our actual civic and political imaginations were formed were, was through the church parish system. That was the original form of government, in fact, ecclesiastical uh, polity. Um, was central to that. And, and what it did was give some boundaries and some substance to, to, to place. So if the, um, if the church does not have a real physical presence in each place, then it ceases to bear witness to what's going on in those places. And it's a further evisceration of the civic ecology, if you like, to, to coin a phrase, or, or the institutional form so what we've seen as i say in this last period is the disintegration of meaningful institutions bound to place so what you've had is the decimation of of the whole financial system the building societies and the and the local banks have disappeared the universities have become global um, institutions that aren't particularly related to the place that they're that they're in 
and the and the disintegration of what was the fundamental practice, which was of association, people associating with each other. And we see increasingly, for example, with football clubs that they pay much more attention to television, global markets, merchandising cease to be bound to place. So what's going on, I think, is, is you know, just to put it in, is, is that the market seeks to eliminate place, because it wants this frictionless movement of people, goods, capital, um, which it can now uh, manage very effectively through the internet. So you've got the disintegration of local businesses of, of you know, we can't go to pubs, the half, 50% of our restaurants are in threat of bankruptcy, the, the, the increasing decimation of the, of the local um, high street and then the state has got a dream of a completely procedural system where ev every individual is an administrative unit so what you get is the breakdown of relationships the the actual breakdown of society itself between these two massive clunking forms so my vision jane um of the of the church is as a broker as a hub as, as a standard bearer for the importance of real physical presence in local community. And it goes further, uh, Graham, to what you said is, you know, what ultimately does the church do as a civic institution? It preserves, it preserves love and relationships in a dehumanized, unrelational world dominated by power and money. So it upholds the possibility of human relationship and by doing that, it necessarily becomes a force of resistance to the domination of market or state or the, or the rich and the educated in the common life. So I just want to get this. And then, Michael, what you raised is, is fundamental. So the common good, let's say, and what's distinct about the common good as opposed to the public interest or the public good and these things, is it recognised that there's a pluralism in society, that there's a difference of interest. Those can be related to class. Those can be related to, to race. Those can be related also to, to religion. And it's how to broker a mutual sense of what is sacred within, within divided, estranged communities in the locality. So um, th this is, these are essentially the themes that we spoke about last time, but I've been really thinking about since we spoke, what is the role of the church as a covenantal civic institution that can bind people in free mutual civic relations to resist the dehumanization? So deep down, there's a real paradox here, which I wanna share which is that to me, it's entirely conceivable that secularism cannot generate a defense of the human. <laughs> and that it, it's only really faith, but really this is the specific gift that Christianity brings through incarnation, is the possibility of love in a loveless world. And I don't think we've ever confronted in our society the real possibilities of abandonment, isolation, and disintegration of society. So that's what I'm talking about as the church as a civic institution. So those are my reflections on what you just raised. Uh, and to go back to Michael's point, so 
the contestation is inevitable. This is good. The agonism, it, but there's a real issue about that, that's going on because what we see with the emergence of the internet, of biotech, of China, is, is a world without any civic institutions, without any liberties, and without any democracy. And I want to raise this issue of democracy because it's a very threatened one. That's the way that people come together and sort out their differences. You know, it could be done through democracy or it can, it can be done in other ways. And I would say that the, that the church has been a primal force in the world to promote uh, democracy as the real physical presence of people in community as a way of dealing with uh, pluralism and conflict, which are inevitable, but this is the non-violent way of dealing with that. So those are the issues that have been really floating around in my head since we last spoke and that came out of our last conversation. Uh, and that's it's very interesting talking about the, the pandemic and the lockdown as being a kind of further diminishment of the of the local. Yeah. Um, because it's and I, I have a certain amount of hope about that in the sense that although at one level people are saying, oh, we'll never go back to having meetings in person. It's so much more convenient on the, on online. All my, all my students and all the students I know of are saying we need to get back to being a community, a learning community, an academic community. We need uh, the real physical presence of one another. 71% um, of students said they're prepared to wait for the beginning of the academic year till January if it meant they could actually be together. I, I think that there is a, a, a real hunger for that personal space where you know people and learn from people that you know and are building relationship with and building community this, this with. concept, Michael, of real physical presence, I don't think has ever been made more real. I think that we tended to view real physical presence as a sort of theological conversation, yeah. but it isn't. It's, it's the presence, it's, it's being present with others in relationship. So for example, in the, in the government guidelines lately, um, so they've said that universities uh, should should be open, that schools should be open, but churches should only be open for private prayer. I mean, it, it's an extraordinary evisceration of the body, of the community, of the body, of of the real physical presence of communion. I mean, I, I mean. It's not my religion, but I take great inspiration from that. That, but that's no longer that's illegal. And then the pressure is on the church to then be a service organisation, i.e., an aspect of the state. So the real physical presence is really about a, a reciprocal society that can hold these powers in check and can be a place through which people can associate. And, and these are the gifts, these are the incredible gifts uh, that the church has traditionally brought. And I, and I fear and worry that that isn't at the foreground of the place that the church is at this moment. Uh, and, and that would be a shocking loss to, to, our, to our polity. One if of the things that, that also strikes me as we talk about a more and more disembodied 
ways of relating through the internet and more and more um so it doesn't really matter where you are you can be anywhere in the world and not committed to particular relationships or particular places is that 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 is actually a luxury only available to some so the people who don't have any choice about being anchored to place um are, are tend to be people um in certain kinds of socioeconomic um brackets where they you know we have to have our bins emptied um, even when we're online, we um, we there are certain kinds of jobs that we still need done in our locality. It's just that we increasingly don't have to notice that. Well, this, um, is, yeah, well, this is the the huge class element. So I came up with a new definition of working class early on in lockdown, which is a job you cannot do from home. Mm. It, it involves leaving the house and doing something, usually with your hands, for somebody else at great personal danger in these circumstances. And that had to be done. So you're, you're talking about uh, the people who empty out bins, but it, but it's also the people who drive the buses. It's also the people who, who look after our parents in, in care homes. I mean, this is, this is definitive. Um, whereas um, the middle class could retreat or could stay in their homes and and do all they had to do on the internet and there was a moment if you remember early lockdown where there was a real public recognition of this that this was um understood and, and then it dissipated and then it really really uh dissipated and, it, and it's worth talking about that too but but jane that that's i think central to this and who is who is gaining from all of this um, well, the internet oligarchs, so, you know, we mentioned Jeff Bezos last time. Well, last Friday, he made personally $8 billion. You know, that was a day's work. Wow. It's extraordinary. You can live uh, off it. Yeah. and um, Slightly more than us. <laughs> and, and Google and the internet retail outlets, um, Facebook. And meanwhile, the reality of 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 real businesses in real places are are disintegrating. I mean, one of the the um, challenges, I guess, in for the church in this is that the um, the vision you, you you've laid out of church as a as a key element of building a relational society that safeguards the importance of, of a place. And yet, I was reading a report earlier today that was talking about how um, rural churches are, you know, where they were struggling to survive even before lockdown, but even since lockdown, uh, they've become, you know, it's a critical situation as to whether, what, you know, in some places, whether they're going to be able to open, open up again, uh, whether they will survive this, you know, and what, what the impact of it will be on the church. And I suppose, you know, we're talking about the church as this um, key institution for our civic life at a time when, if you like, belief in the things that the church holds to has largely collapsed in our society over the last 50, 100 years or so. Uh, and we've gone from uh, a situation where sort of Christian belief is kind of assumed in the background of society uh, to, to where Christianity is maybe more consumed. It's more kind of chosen. Um, it's not something you can assume as being the background of everybody's sort of assumptions about life. It's something you you actively choose as you go to it. So therefore, the people going to church, you don't go to church out of a sort of social necessity. You go to church because you actively choose to do so uh, more and more. Um, and I guess the question is, can 
can church in these conditions where church is, is in some ways not no longer a, a, you know Christian faith is no longer assumed can it still play that that crucial social civic role in a context uh, with where you have the sort of collapse of belief more widely in our society uh, and that's I guess the disjunction that I think a lot of churches are struggling struggling to struggling with, with. and um, and how you can navigate that the changed place of religion and belief in 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 public life but also the, the, the ongoing important sort of um, structural place of the church and the parish church in particular. So I wonder what your reflections on that are, Morris, and you know, how, how the church navigates that. Okay, so uh, essentially I have three that I will, but we can develop that. Um, so the first, the first one is that the church is very vulnerable and has to recognise its vulnerability. So uh, Michael, in response to your earlier remark, I would say that the church does have interests, I mean, in its, in its flourishing and its survival, and, and, that it, and that it can't exclusively give, but there has to be reciprocity in its relationship with the institutions that are around it. Um, so we could, we could develop that. I just wanted to raise, Michael, that that's a crucial, a crucial aspect of recognising vulnerability. Mm-hmm. is that we tend to assume um, that because the church has been such a permanent covenantal feature of our polity in so many ways that it will just continue. But what Graham is drawing attention to is, is a rapid process of disintegration. You know, I, I read The Great Gatsby over the weekend and there's a fantastic line in it where one person says to another, how did you go bankrupt? And the other guy says two ways first gradually then suddenly and this is a suddenly moment where where a lot of issues over many many years are coming to to a head so the first is the the recognition um, of the church of its own need for love of its own need for support from others that it cannot plow a lonely fire which leads to the next one which is just true of life but it's true for the church too is that it, it cannot do it on its own. It has to do it in relationship with other uh, civic institutions that are committed to their good. So if you, if you view, as I do, the church, essentially, you know, people say to me, well, what is the church? I say that the church is the embodiment of love in a desecrated world. So I just want to give you, that's what I think the church is. Um, it tries to, to uphold human dignity and human the possibility of love in a world which which rejects that and, and and that's quite familiar graham if you if you look outside um the previous chapter of the church this has often been where the church finds itself um and then that's the third and and equally difficult part of this is is how to conceptualize politics, what is the politics of the common good, um, without that becoming an argument about government policy or party politics, but the church as a renewed aspect of a local polity, um, which is also part of a national polity. Um, So it was in the ancient constitution, it was considered that the church was, the role of the church was to uphold the soul of of the of the nation it's a wide remit but it's very interesting that that was in the balance of interests 
um, if the monarchy was the head, you know, and, and various other city institutions represented aspects of the of the commons and, and the body, um, the church was related to the soul. So what what so there, there will be conflict in this. This goes back to Michael's point about the common good. But what we can see is there's going to be issues about eviction, people not being able to pay their rent of the you know, local businesses, of real pressures um, on people. And how does the church conceptualise mutuality, mutual aid, not just giving? This is what I'm saying. How do you engage people in a reciprocal society? And Graham seems to be the central point. So just to reiterate, a recognition of vulnerability, a recognition that the church can't do it on its own, and then a turning to the ailing and pained civic institutions around and saying, well, how can we make each other stronger in order to protect the besieged status of the human being, the besieged status of human relationships and society, how can those be strengthened? So it involves a politics that, that builds coalitions and builds coalitions about what is mutually sacred. And, and that seems, I'm just sharing with you that that seems to be um, the first response to, to what you're asking, Graham. So if you go deeper into that, just to finish it off, is that what's extraordinary and miraculous is that people still believe in love and they still believe in relationships and they still believe in forms of redemption, however severed. So you could say that, that the legacy of Christianity in our society is a, is a kind of miraculous thing and the church needs to engage with that itself um, in order to strengthen what you might call a moral economy or, or an ethical society that's based on mutual interests, association and active participation of people in their governance. Strikes me that coming out of that therefore the, the church's confidence to to share its faith is actually quite important not not just to kind of build big churches but actually for the sake of our civic life we yeah. need strong stronger churches in order to to retain that sense of place the importance of it the kind of importance of, of what you talk about you know if, if the church is an embodiment of love in a desecrated world that's why evangelism matters sharing faith matters um because actually the preservation and the, the the growth of the church matters for the for the wider society and this has always been the case so yeah. what what we've got a threat over is on the one hand well the privatization of the church would be terrible the nationalization of the church would be awful that the church is a civic institution which uphold the good. And there are other civic institutions that uphold the good that is irreducible to power or money alone. You know, schools do that, hospitals do that, other faith um, communities do that, environmental organisations. But the thing is how to bring them together in a civil association or organisation around the parish, Michael, is the, is the key is the key task. And it seems to me that there's, there is a relationship to be discovered between grace and place, 
how do we, you know, that this, where people associate together in right relationship, you've all experienced it. There's a beauty in that, that, that is, that is the gift of the church, if you like, that, that by bringing people into relationship, you elevate and actually create a genuine sense of community rather than a very narrow instrumentalism on the one side or a kind of procedural justice on the other. And I mean, I've, I've been doing a bit of reading about the origins of parish. And one of the really interesting things is that, um, uh, is that parish really starts the whole idea of democracy. You start to give people uh, a chance to vote for church wardens and, a, and, and an expectation they have a voice about how things are run. And, and you sort of think, well, that's, that's something we really could actually um, attend to and uh, attempt to recover, that here is the society, a, a group of people with an expectation of uh, learning how to um, talk well, how to negotiate well, how to think more than just about, as you say, individual power and money or individual um, institutions, power and money, but actually uh, grow a sense of how you do business together right and in all of that um if you look about the origins of democracy they were around the parish it was you know the ward the ward was a secular form of the parish it was a, a unit of association um and then the hustings were on the whole in the in in the church you know the, the people would meet and in that there was you know, the civility, and it was a bit rough at times, but within that, people learned to do politics. And out of this grew um, city government, and out of that grew parliament, was based on, we still have, you know, people berate it, but what's amazing about our first past the post system is it keeps a link to place. Can you imagine how it would have been if there wasn't that link to place, is, is that people wouldn't have been able to express themselves in the way that they did. I can just ask another question, I guess, related to this emphasis on place, because I guess uh, one of the fears out there in our society is that the more you emphasize place and location and specificity, uh, the more you run the risk of tribalism and that sense of, you know, um, my place is better than your place and so on. So I guess my question is, how do we how do we keep an emphasis upon place, the importance of the local without descending into that kind of antagonistic tribalism that, you know, we, we have seen in recent times in our in our uh, in our culture and across the world as well. What your reflections are on that one? Well, I, be, I begin my reflection in a slightly different place is is that there was a tendency, I think, over. 30 to 40 years of wishing to ignore a whole range of views, yeah. opinions, people, that these places that they lived in, the faraway towns, sometimes we refer to it, you know, as the left behind or occasionally yeah. as South Wales, Jane, or, or the north, you know, these places, um, Newport, Wrexham, um, and in the north, Preston, Burnley, Derby, um, Hartlepool, they were seen as Southwest Cornwall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were seen as as desecrated places, as as abandoned places, um, and so it is vital that that the people who live in those places form part of our body politic. You know that that they're not 
cancelled by definitional fiat as being reactionary, racist, patriarchal, sexist, and all the various other ways that they're labelled. And that through civic association, these places are elevated. I mean, the, one of the crucial things for the church is to bless that land that they live on and say that this is good. So, Graham, what I'm saying is, is that there's a tendency to begin with the idea that this, this is, this is, this is bad and leads to bad things. On the contrary, the ignoring of place leads to very bad things. I just remind everybody that given who he is and what he is, uh, Donald Trump got 71 million votes at the last election. That's, um, and he was outfunded by three to one. All the mainstream institutions of society vilified him, the media, the academy, the business, uh, show business. And yet there, there's this sense of abandonment that people have. So if you approach that with humility and love rather than fear and loathing, that's the right beginning. That's the right beginning. And if the church abandons those places, you've got to say, well, where is the civic institution through which people can associate? Because what, what you find through, through democracy and democratic association is that people yearn to connect with their neighbors. They learn to find a common life. And I think the parish system actually implicitly says there is no place that is God forsaken. Yes, that's the point. And, and if we let that go in the face of all the challenges that will come post pandemic, we are allowing ourselves to be unintentionally mar market driven. Yeah. This place can afford it so it can have it. This place can't, so it can't. And we are actually saying implicitly there are some places that are God forsaken. We, I, I think we've been implying that for a while and it can't be true. It can't be true. It, so, yeah. The parishes are, are very, you may have read um, Andrew Rumsey's book, the, um, I think it's just called Parish. It's a very fascinating a um, rumination on parish, which is, uh, and I, I love his definition of parish. Parish is a, is a place where people recognize each other. And uh, the importance, if you like, of boundaries, that parishes have boundaries. They have, you know, in some ways, they're not boundaryless places. There's a sort of, there's a, there's a kind of specificity about, you know, belonging to a parish, you know, and you belong to one parish, the next door and parish belongs to something else. That doesn't mean you're over against that parish, but it gives you, it gives you a kind of definition. It gives shape uh, to life. And, this and I can see there's a, there's a... Yeah, carry on, please. Carry on. And you know, just going to say that, that's... Um, there's something quite important about that element of, of, of the, the parochial, the, the, the parish nature of, of life, that we are rooted in places, that we feel we belong to places. And actually, to be honest, in the long term, um, I've been thinking a bit about this in terms of housing, uh, that we need a housing policy that enables people to put down roots in a place, because actually you commit to a community where you are there for a long time. If you're going to be there for six months and then the rent's going to go up and you have to move somewhere else, you're not going to commit to that place. We build good communities by rootedness, and rootedness enables enables good community to happen. Uh, where you feel located in a place, you're interested in the locality, the people, the the, the environment, and uh, that commitment to place seems to be so important in building proper community. Yeah, and that's the, that's what makes um, the the Christian view distinct from an exclusively liberal view, for example, um, because it does begin with 
with relationship building in the place you are and the and the bringing of some notion of sanctification to the mundane that that to me is what i take from incarnation uh, and the importance uh, of that so it's not an exclusively universal project in terms of having universal forms of administration it's actually a way of activating locally um, a sense of the of of what is of what is sacred in relation to the environment in relation to each other so in that sense i've been you know very inspired and i always return to the the principles of catholic social thought in this regard so the idea of subsidiarity which which is a parish you know concept the idea of um the dignity or the or the status of the worker you know as not merely an instrument of capital but as a partner in production the the idea of solidarity that in the community you share burdens and you share a fate and the principle of stewardship in relation to nature that you do not own nature that you are its custodian and steward through time and and it seems to me that that the history of the church of england has actually been quite fundamentally shaped by those ideas and, um, yeah we i guess we're drawing our discussion to a close in a moment i'd love to bring in jane and mike for some final comments i guess what i'm what i'm taking away from this both the last discussion and this is a is a real call for particular local churches and i guess a lot of people listening to this will have a they'll be pastors or if they're not pastors they are members of a local church somewhere and it's a particular call to churches to be really committed to the place in which you are located uh, and yes we'll have the occasional eclectic church that gathers people from a wide area maybe we need those from time to time as gateways into the church but actually the real unit of church is that sort of local community committed to a particular place and that calling back to the place i mean if you like you know the churches then to which the letters of the new testament were written were the, the saints in philippi or in thessalonica or in ephesus they were particular places that largely they were written to so that recalling to to, to place to commitment to the reality of the place in which you live and minister and build the church and build the church in particular places i guess is what i'm taking away from this jane and mike you may have other reflections on our discussions as well well i suppose i just wanted to add that um the other thing that anglican ecclesiology of course has is people like you graham who are um, who have uh, overall um, love and responsibility for more than just one local church. Mm. Um, and so part of your role as a bishop is to help listen to what is really, what it is to belong in a real place, but also to remind each place mm. um, that it's not the only place in the world. Um, yep. and, and I think you need those, you need both, don't you? You need to, to we do mm. need to revive our real commitment to place, but we also need to remind people that we're all part of something bigger. So what is the common good um, for my little parish needs to be uh, something that will feed up into uh, a, a wider common good. Yeah. yeah, you need the local, but you also need the oversight to the episcopate of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. Michael, any final comments? Well, I, I mean, Christmas is coming up and um, uh, as a college principal, I have to do my uh, address ab orbe. Um, so I've just been fil filming that. So the kind of Christmas narratives are on my mind. And 
very interesting juxtaposition between the census, you know, that all the world should be taxed, all the world. This is a transnational, global, impersonal thing and an exploitative thing. It's to get money out of people. Uh, whereas the, the centrality of, of the narrative is in fear not Zechariah, fear not Mary, named people. Uh, we are addressed by name. Uh, people we are known and and somehow we have to be to be to know ourselves to be and to enable others to be uh, a community of named people uh, where they're known where if they're not there people notice and care uh, where they where they matter um, because the impersonal forces and the exploitative forces are vast uh, and, and we need to be a place uh, where names are known, people are known, who we are matters, and, and whether we're there, you know, we're missed if we're not. Um, that seems to me to be of the essence of, of how we are addressed in the gospel. Michael, thank you. Morris, we are really grateful to you for stimulating our thoughts in both this conversation and the last one. And uh, it's uh, really opened up a whole area of um, discussion that I'm not sure we've ever, ever really talked about these issues on Godpod before, um, but it's been fascinating to do it. So, Morris, we're really grateful to you. Is there any, anything final you'd want to say to us? As we, as we no, I just, discussion? you know, once again, this has gone for me in, a, in my solipsistic world, this has gone by in a flash, you know, where <laughs> it still feels like we're at the beginning. So... My thing is to, is to just respond again to, to, to what you've all raised in your, in your final thoughts, is, is that the parish is a human form of association ground. You know, this, that's what Andrew Rumsey was talking about. Yep. It's, a, it's an organic form, it's a natural form, but within it is the whole world. This is what we find in, in, in our time. Um, and, then, and then what Jane was saying in relation to the role of the bishop is is the, and relates to what Michael was saying earlier about the negotiation of the common good. It seems to be the task of the bishop is to bring into relationship the different parts of your diocese. So not to impose necessarily an administrative uniformity or, or is, is that if you have a flourishing polity within your diocese, then the necessity is to bring into human relationship the different component parts of that. I mean, Jane, does that make sense? That's the, it's not to then impose on them or try to eliminate the, the conflict because what you what each parish will find is that these forces of, of what Michael calls inhumanity and exploitation are real in all the parishes. So there is a mutual interest in building up that um, that solidarity, uh, and I guess the crucial thing is 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 what Michael said at the end there, which I found um, very wise is do not fear. Is that is that there is a massive fear in all this, uh, a fear of other people, a fear of democracy, a a fear of the local, a fear of, but do we we have far too little of it, not too much of it, and the direction of the contemporary world is to eliminate it. So it, it's just to remember that those are the words, do not fear, are, are, are vital to bear in mind.
Do not fear. It's a very good note to end. Oh, God, well on. So, Morris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really good to have thank these two. Thank you for having me. Two conversations. And um, thank you again to Jane and to Michael. And uh, for all of those of you listening, thank you for giving us the last half an hour or so of your time. And uh, we will be back again with another God Pod before very long. So from all of us, it's goodbye. 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 Bye-bye. That was God Pod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.